So welcome to the Success and Happiness podcast. I'm Colin Dorrance, your host, and today we've got Dean Pilsen. So Dean is a complete nutrition and fitness geek, is how he described himself. Uh, he decided to leave his lucrative job in IT and start up his own health and fitness company called Phoenix uh, Performance Training and also Lean Warrior. Uh, he got sick of seeing so many people who were desperate in desperate need to improve their lives through health and fitness and decided to help as many people as he could. Uh, he's been involved in martial arts for over 30 years, studying several different martial arts to black belt level and is also certified self-protection instructor and is one of the few people who studied under the world-renowned Jeff Thompson and his real combat system to second down level. He's an international best-selling author of The Fit Formula and he spends his time writing for various publications including being a feature writer on nutrition for the UK's biggest selling martial arts magazine, Martial Arts Illustrated. Loves sharing his knowledge of health and nutrition and how emotional healing is the key to unlocking your true potential. Loves presenting and regular regularly talks in schools and businesses. Mentors other trainers in the UK and other world and, and the world for nutrition and training advice and, and on it goes. So welcome Dean. We got through that long intro. Ah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it is a long intro, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm honoured to be here. Thank you. Excellent. That's no, great to have you. So um, I wanted to start with what, what Lean Warrior is. What's, what's Lean Warrior all about? Yeah, well, that, that's a concept that came up in 2014. And it was when I was really in, heavily involved in the martial arts. And, you know, and it literally meant lose weight, win fights. That's what it was, Lean Warrior. Um, but as that evolved, the, the concept of Lean Warrior changed and it changed to really find your essence, face your adversity, where, you know, lean meaning stripping away all the superfluous, all the excess, all the things that we have in our lives that we don't really need, the, but we we brought them in for somewhere. It could be some thoughts, it could be, um, you know, the things that we do, the words that we use, anything that was excessive to to like being the essence of who we are. So that's yeah. how it kind of evolved. And warrior literally means having the, the courage to face yourself. You know, that, you know, the inner, the inner version of you, all, all those beliefs and stories that you hold usually protect yourself in some some way. Uh, so lean warrior sort of evolved from lose weight when fights to find your essence, face your adversity. So it was always about facing the inner version of yourself that most people, you know don't want to do because it's very it's a very scary place to go it's the hardest thing you'll ever do but but by doing it it kind of liberates your soul but it yes the work it's those inner thoughts isn't it and i know a lot of people will will do anything i guess you know whether that's working stupid hours whether that's drinking or drugs or all sorts of things to to get away from those voices in their head basically yeah, because we're always moving away from pain, and you know, physical pain we get. You don't you don't put your hand on fire, or you might do it once when you're young, but you'll not do it again. You remember <laughs> that, or you're not stepping in front of a bus, or you know, we have that awareness of you know, I don't want that kind of physical pain, but it's the emotional pain that people don't really understand, and we'll always always move away from pain, whatever kind of pain it is. And yeah. so, when if we're if we're triggered emotionally, then we will move away, and we'll you know we'll create some kind of belief. A story to take us away from that or action be it alcohol be it drugs gambling emotional eating porn whatever that is we'll take we'll use that as a trigger to move us away from 
the, the perceived pain. We might not be even aware of it. We'll just go and automatically do it. But by understanding that we have con- we have control of that, we can control that. Understanding the triggers and being able to respond differently is massively important. And it always starts with awareness. Having that awareness of, you know, we, we can take back control of this. We don't have to do these things. We understand, okay, what is this pain? What is this discomfort that I'm reacting to? And if we can just catch ourselves, if we can just pause for a moment and instead of engaging, just observing what's going on, then we have that power to to respond differently. And it's really powerful. I've had uh, in the past, you know, I'd wake up at whatever time and then, you know, even now I wake up and and my brain's just going 100 miles an hour. Um, And I'm a lot better now, you know, I can get back to sleep eventually. Um, but used to, you know, I get up and, and, and I'd have to get up basically because it was those thoughts and you're like, I just, I can't lie here listening to all this, these thoughts going on. Yeah. Um, but having done a lot of work uh, in the last sort of 18 months, two years and um, and realizing the, the huge power and benefit into actually listening to those thoughts and then going, well, what's that about? What's, you know, what, what's the emotion behind that and, and releasing that? Yeah. Um, and just, I guess, having peace with it and just, and just the, the biggest thing that changed for me was going, you know, I'd have these thoughts and my initial response was like, yeah, I, I, I try and bury it again. Yeah. And then I was like, no, hit me, hit me with whatever you've got, because I want to deal with it. And that was, that was the, just the best thing, the most powerful thing. Cause it's like, yeah, just, I can take whatever you're going to hit me with. So you hit me and I'll, I'll release the emotion around it. Yeah, and I think that's really, really important because men are really good at burying emotions. We're, we're, we're conditioned that way. We're culturally conditioned that way for over so many, so many millennia. It's been going on for a long time. We don't show emotions. We don't show weakness. Emotions, showing emotions are a form of weakness, but they're not. There's just a body where humans physiologically, you know, emotions are trying to tell us something. You know, thoughts of, of the mind, emotions are of the body. So as you said, when a thought comes up, Sometimes it's because of the thought feeling loop, uh, loop where thoughts create emotions, create thoughts, and we get stuck. Yeah, yeah and, and we try and process it from a mind level. But if we understand how the brain works, where physiology trumps psychology only 100% of the time, where, you know, in times of threat or stress or feeling unsafe, our body down regulates the thinking human part of the brain the logical part of the brain the rational part of the brain and gets us to react and do what we did the last time when we faced whatever trigger that has you know triggered this stress or threat and then when you understand that then you can take control of it you can understand that it's by design you don't regulate the thinking part of the brain because by react we want to react because if there's danger we don't have to wait vital waste vital seconds thinking about whether we should run or fight we just react and that's how the brain works it does but sometimes it gets wired wrongly for want of a better word where it then it perceives this threat and then we go and do this but by understanding that and having that awareness we can we can change that yeah um i know i've also a lot of your thoughts and feelings aren't real so a lot of it's just made up yeah um and and like and also something about this, you know, there's thoughts are like little bits of energy just kind of flying through through your head. That's right. Um, but I had a big breakthrough a, a little while ago about thoughts and feelings. And 
you know, I'd, I'd be walking the dogs and um, I'd often, I would make something up in my head that, you know, at the time I thought was true. So, you know, there'd be like a car parked on the side of the road and then I'd be like, oh, I've got to walk around this into the road with the dogs and everything else. And then I'd be like, yeah, you know, then someone else is going to, an old, you know, an old lady is going to come and she's going to have to go on the road and she'll probably get run over. And, you know, and, and this, this whole narrative just, just goes off into the and, and then this this guy's a complete nutter wanker who drives the car and you know he's he's unaware of all of this and um you know i get really angry about it and even my temperature would change I, you know that's that's the emotion behind it yeah and then i would be like it's all made up yeah like none of this is real yeah it's all completely made up and that was just such a major breakthrough to to realize that and then to catch myself in future going, you know, you start going down this road and you're like, hang on a minute, this is just, this is just made up. Yeah. Not real. And, I, and it's usually made up because our brain makes it so to keep us safe. It says, yeah. if you with that right now, let's just create this perception and then we'll run with that. And, you know, so many people don't understand that we are not our thoughts. Yes. thoughts go. There's thousands of thoughts every single day. We get to choose the thoughts we believe based on the perception that we have and the conditions we have and the repressed emotions that we have that get triggered. There's so many like nuances to that, that if we understood it, even anxiety, I saw someone talking the other day about anxiety at, at a surface level, the difference between excitement and anxiety is a lack of clarity. So that's like with what's in front of you. But if you take, but that's not just because anxiety is just a failure of your brain to predict a response. Cause we're the only animals on the, or species on the planet who try and look to the future and try and predict the future, which you can do that. So the brain sees that as unsafe. And so it creates these anxious, fearful feelings to protect ourselves. But if we go to a deeper level, sometimes it's not just about what's in front of us. If we've got, um, we've had some kind of overwhelming traumatic experience of our past, or we've got some repressed emotions from that, that's the driver. It's not what's in front of you. That's just the trigger of things that are deeper. And as you said, once you allow yourselves to allow yourself to sit with that emotion, bring awareness to that there's an emotion there. And something, you know, when I work with my coaching clients, I use something called Trinity Coherence, where we look at the thoughts, the emotions created by the thought and the sensations in the body as a result of the emotion. And so we go from mind and then we go from um, emotion to body. So we see what the sensations are being brought up because all, all emotions are energy in motion. And if we are pushing these emotions down because they're painful in some way, then we're trapping this energy. And so yeah, exactly. we use energy to keep them trapped as well. So we're, and it, like, as you said, everything's about energy, whether it's thoughts, whether it's, you know, emotions, whether we're repressing stuff. So by being able to, having the courage, I suppose you could say, to firstly have awareness that they're there, allowing yourself to sit with them, and then feeling into where those emotions are coming up for you in the body. It could be the head, it could be the throat, it could be the, you know, the chest, it could be the stomach, it could be deeper. And all those have different meanings metaphysically in the body. And when we understand that, or you, you know somebody who can help you understand that, then you can see and release whatever trauma you've had in the past, and you don't even need to know what what that trauma is. Because yeah. sens the sensations in the body are telling you there's something here. I just want you to recognize this. I want you to feel into this. And when you do that and you allow yourself to do that, 
and you you're brave enough to be able to just allow it to dissipate and, and release, I suppose you could say, then the stories and beliefs that you've had to protect you about this unsafe feeling just go away. And your perception changes about a lot of things. So really your brain's there and stories and beliefs are there to protect you in some way. Yeah, because a lot of that's come from being as a child when, when you know, things happen to you, which as a child are, can be quite traumatic to you as a child. Yeah. And then you develop systems in place to protect yourself. So the brain goes, okay, so we're going we're gonna to create a belief system that, you know, when, when your mom, when you can't find your mom in the supermarket, for example, that, you know, it's yeah. not the end of the world, or, or maybe it can be like, yeah, you're, you're on your own. You've got to be able to fend for yourself. You know, if, if you get left in the supermarket, you know, you've got to be able to, survive by yourself and, and all these kind of little things that it just develops you know it, it yeah. just jumps to a conclusion creates a system yeah but when you when you're older as an adult you don't need those systems anymore but they're still they're still in you absolutely i mean i've worked with somebody who had claustrophobia but what it actually was was when he was younger his siblings had made him watch a horror film and locked him in a cupboard straight afterwards you can imagine the emotion the fear mm. that you locked into that and then thrown in a cupboard left in there for ages i mean even my son scared of dogs from you know, a very young age where my next door neighbor had a labrador soft as cloths you know and came over when he was a toddler two or three years old came over to lick his face but knocked him on him on his bum and he just started crying so to him that was a big scary monster come to eat him but really it wasn't but that was his perception locked at that age and from you know he had a massive phobia about dogs to the fact that he created a story that he didn't go anywhere where dogs might be off the lead. So he would never go to the beach. Didn't like the beach. Didn't like walking beside rivers. You know, anywhere where you might see a dog. And it wasn't that he didn't like the beach. It was the fact that his brain saying, if you go to the beach, there's dogs on the lead and they'll all come to eat you. That, that was basically what was happening. I mean, even when he was 13 year old, even like being on the beach, he would jump on my back if a dog came anywhere near him. Even if they weren't even bothered about him, which mostly they weren't. Um... You know, so it was one of those things where I created that story that I don't like the beach. But it wasn't about that. And I've worked with people who don't like exercise, but it was just because they had a bad um, bad experience with exercise when they were younger. You know, bad PE teacher at school, you know, making them do things they hated doing. So they just hate exercise. But then I've seen people who then instill that in their children. Exactly, yeah. It travels through, doesn't it? It travels down the line. Yes, and that's it's so sad that really because we don't want to be able to have that influence just because we've had that influence and are unable or unwilling to deal with it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, it, it's also when you're unaware of that. So, you know, like your son, when he's when he's older and he's, he's got married and kids and things and then they go to the beach and he's like, I'm not going to the beach. Yeah. And then you, you kind of have this argument about how he hates the beach, but you don't really know what's actually behind that. That's right. And then you, you miss out on so many things because it's right. like, well, actually, if you if you unpicked it, you, you'd realize what the issue was. And then you just experience so much more in life. That's absolutely true. And so, you know, how many people are stuck in that way where they, you know, they're just stuck in that malaise. They just happen. They say they're happy with what they're doing, but are they really doing? Are they, have they, decided that they cannot have the dreams when, the, you know, that when they were a teenager of doing this and doing that, where in fact they can, it's just they have this such a strong belief over a long period of time that they can't see past it. They don't, they're not able to have that 30,000 foot view, that big step back just to see, you know, that they're in this sort of, this bubble, this, you know, 
first world problems of one and they've just created these stories and beliefs and as you said earlier you know even i think it's by byron katie uh, katie who said you know then you have this this thought or belief but then you challenge it is it true who would i be without this thought or belief and that's the scary thing because it's the around that who would i be if i wasn't like that my mom's the same thing who who would i be if i didn't play the sympathy card and want people to you know see you know how are you doing you know or look after me you know all of a sudden i don't have that that kind well, of it's, it's endorphins isn't it and it's it's they're made significant by their suffering and they get endorphins yeah. from people looking right. after them so they go well if you take that away what am i left with yes yeah who am i where's my happiness going to come from you yeah. don't realize that happiness is a choice and they can choose to have that anytime they want but they create so many stories and beliefs around that that they don't see that yeah um yeah i just wanted to talk as well about uh, um about swimming actually because you're also a cold water swimmer like us and, and everyone that seems to come on the podcast has got some kind of cold water experience <laughs> um and i know that that really helps focus the mind um you know that because you're very focused you know when your body's on fire and you know you're kind of focused you can't think about other stuff so I know that helps a lot with mental health and that sort of thing, but what, what's your experience with cold water swimming? With my experience, uh, it brings up a lot of emotions. Not all the time. Uh, every, I would say most of the time I don't want to go in. <laughs> most of the time. But I remind myself of the fact that once I'm in, it's never as bad as I'm creating. And then I get a massive dopamine hit. You know, it raises your dopamine levels about 250%. It's, it's, like, it's probably on par with cocaine with like the hit of dopamine that you get raised. But what I what I love about it is the fact that it allows me to release emotions. I can go in, I can shout, I can scream, I can sing, which is what we're doing at the moment. My, my, my wife is singing the 12 days of Christmas every time we go in to allow ourselves to get in. And yesterday, for example, I didn't want to be there at all, but I, I don't engage in that, I'm aware of it. So the, the feeling's there, but I'm observing it. And then, then I'll share it with, with Joy or she'll share that with me don't really want to go in today. That's okay. We're just going to do that anyway. Because it's, you know, as we said before, the thing is never the thing, but it allows us to express certain emotions. It allows us to sit with that discomfort. And I think for me, that's the most powerful thing. It forces you to look at something that you might not otherwise do. Yeah. It's also the thing when you're actually, um, I don't know how far away you are, but we, we're probably about 20 minutes away from, 20, 25 minutes away from where we go swimming. Yeah. Um, and you know that, as much as you don't really want to go in, you know that you're going to go in. Yeah. And you, you're on that journey and everything else, and you know that you're going to go in. And I find that's really powerful, especially, you know, when you stand on the edge of the water, I know you you kind of have to walk in on the yeah. beach. Yeah. But when you stand on the edge and you know you're going to go in and, and your brain's just having just having a heart attack basically <laughs> just no, like, uh, what, what, how am i gonna how am i gonna convince this guy not to jump in the water yeah and, and you just know that you know um that you're gonna go in and, and waiting you're just gonna get colder waiting around so you might as well go in that, that's really helpful we've just started swimming without wetsuits in, in the cold and, and that's helpful to go the longer i'm standing on the edge the colder i'm getting anyway so i might as well just go in yeah. But when you're in a wetsuit and you're warm and cozy, it's it's kind of, it's a little bit more difficult because you're kind of standing there going, it's going to hurt when I get in, you know, and and it's a little, but you know you're going to go in anyway. And it's just, you just kind of fight with your brain almost. Yeah, it's almost, it gets to a point where I just allow the chatter. It's, yeah. It's really, 
and it's a you know it's an experienced thing it's something that you've got to experience and work through but but then detaching yourself so you're not jumping into any drama that your brain's creating and you're just looking at the facts the data that's right in front of you and say okay water is here i am here it's time to go in doesn't matter what the drama is i'm still going to go in regardless and i i've gotten to a point now most of the time because sometimes you still get caught out is you're just listening to that chatter and i'm just laughing you know i might even share it with joy saying listen to what my brain's saying today and we'll have a laugh about <laughs> you know what what stories it's creating creating for yeah. us stop going in but then you're right but then we just go in anyway it's it's just prolonged like this morning we got there just before sunrise but there was clouds on the horizon and so instead of going straight into the water because it was about 200 yards to walk from where we leave because the tide was out um <laughs> we actually just waited and watched we just we allowed ourselves to be in the moment and just crossed our arms and just waited for the sun to rise above the clouds and then we yeah. went in we're getting to that point now even yesterday um the sea temperature dropped a whole degree and it doesn't do that usually it's usually pointing and just goes up and down and then they might get that sort of downward trend towards the window but yesterday it just dropped the whole degree and me and joy didn't even notice yeah the sea didn't even notice i thought oh that's interesting we we definitely noticed the degree drop the moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah we didn't and that was that was the that was yeah. the weird thing and uh, you know and, and now it's now with degree colder and again, even today, we just we just walk in. We're not like these, you know, run in, run out um, scenario. It's just we just wade in, and then we're there. Yes, we'll, you know, we'll still get that intake of breath, that cold shock, but it's being aware and observing that reaction, and then focusing on the breathing. And yeah. then when you're in that focused moment, then you know it's 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 amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Do you actually swim around, or do you just sort of immerse yourself? It depends on the tide, depends on how high the, the surf is. Uh, it was quite flat this morning, so we actually did that. I've got a, actually did a video of Joy swimming, but then she stands up and it's up, you know, just above her knees because obviously with the tide going up and down and the waves coming in and out, it's it's interesting. But sometimes it can be, um, the surf can be too rough. Yeah. Like it was yesterday, we were in the dark yesterday because Joy was going to work, so sunrise is half past eight, which I had to leave before then so we were in just after seven o'clock so we've got our head yeah. torches on <laughs> which is which is interesting um but again it's just depends on the on the on the sea and the tide it's better if you're in a lake because you know what you're getting yeah day on day that the sea changes its mind but swimming in the dark's a whole different experience isn't it because i mean that that just brings up a lot of fear because you just yes. can't see what you're getting into or anything like that I can't, especially with the sea so it's it's like we're more cautious then we'll probably just dip there we'll just sit and we're just like like there's sometimes that we can't get in because we're, we're lucky because even if there's like you know an eight foot surf for example the waves like around eight feet the sandbanks further out because the break on the sandbanks yeah. first so it's it's easier to get in but we can't get all the way in so we're kind of doing these deep squats to try and get as low into the water as possible because we can't get further out especially in the dark as you said it creates that extra level of fear yeah yeah i remember because we used to swim on a like a friday morning and we were always the first the first ones in yeah and i always used to imagine like there was some you know someone had driven past with this big truck with a shark in the back and they dropped it off into the into the lake <laughs> and we were, we were the first ones to get in there and just get like eaten but it's yeah, yeah it's amazing the stories and stuff that you come up with too yeah it just creates the fear i think by doing that it kind of 
disarms the fear as well because it yes. was fear is just a biological process you know it's preparing yeah. us to run a fight uh but we create these big 3d scary monsters with our thoughts but that's all we are unless we have take some form of action on the fear that we're feeling yeah. uh, once you sort of disprove the fear by you know stepping into it anyway like these 3d monsters just become two-dimensional cartoons and then you can have a laugh and then it removes the seriousness I think that's why we're doing a lot of singing at the moment. Everything <laughs> and everything, obviously, it's the 12 days of Christmas at the moment, but it's just like, yeah. it makes it fun. You're taking the stress and the threat and the feeling, the unsafe feeling away, and you're giving yourself a different focus. It's almost like when, you know, the easiest way to upregulate your, your thinking part of your brain from a stressful response is to get curious. By getting, you can't be curious and scared and scared at the same time. So just having that bringing that different approach and just creating that different perspective makes a massive difference. So, so where, where does fear come into martial arts? I mean, did, did you, you compete it, I'm guessing as well. And, and how does that fear? Cause I'm always, you know, I watch a lot of UFC, a big UFC fan. And it's, it's, it's not about the brutality. It's about everything behind it. It's about firstly doing things properly. You know, that they, they have coaches in the different, areas of martial arts and they have their nutrition done and they yeah. you know there's so many things i have to do right because um the what someone's going to punch you in the face basically and that's not nice so you do everything you can to not get punched in the face yeah um and then and it's it's really interesting when a lot of the fighters actually admit to the fear and everything else because people watch and they go oh, they're not fearful but they are fearful but they i guess they conquer their fear what, what's your experience with that um, I think it's kind of what Susan Jeffers said, like feel the fear and do it anyway in martial arts. Yeah. Being able to override that and know that it's just a biological response. You know, it's a fight or flight response. If you think of it, if you break it down from a biological level where, you know, if you are under stress or threat, uh, your, your stress response kicks in, your fight or flight response kicks in. If you know biologically, then all the blood moves away from the stomach into your, into your limbs, uh, your, you know, your vision narrows you always become blinkered. Your your pupils dilate very widely, so you can see you can see more in front of you. You're very aware of what's going on, of any kind of danger. That's just a biological response. But then we attach stories and beliefs and emotions around that. From a martial arts perspective, you know, I did martial arts from when I was 15 years old. I got my first black belt when I was 17 in 1988. Uh, but I was always. I thought when I got my black belt, I wouldn't be scared anymore of fighting, but I was. Nothing changed. Yes, I could punch and kick, but I still couldn't do it. It wasn't until I started buying books from Jeff Thompson, by Jeff Thompson in 1999, uh, Then, because I, I was kind of drawn to him. I found, I think I found him on Amazon. I was obviously searching for something. I found his books, read all his books, bought every book he had. And he's a world authority in self-protection. He certainly was back then. And... You know, he was quite controversial in creating animal days where it's kind of, it's like a more extreme version of, um, or it probably was what UFC is like now, where he was pressure testing martial arts, all the different ranges, the punching range, which is the shortest range, the kicking range, the grappling or ground, you know, range. And then you, they were, you know, they were hitting each other, you know, to try and knock each other out. And then it went to the ground pretty quickly. And then they just grabbed the gloves off. There was people around spotless grabbing the gloves off and they went for the choke. And he was just—he was just pressure testing, and like he got so much shit for that. But like, <laughs> all he was doing is he wanted to know what was real, and mm -hmm. that's that's how I gravitated to him. And I'm, I went to a it was 2003. I drove down to Coventry, it's 250 miles from me, 
uh, and went to one of his self-defense seminars with Peter Considine. And that was amazing. I couldn't, I was hooked. I wanted to know more about this and about fear and how he could conquer his fear. Because that's why Jeff went on the door for nine years, because he was sim- similar. He got a black belt. He still felt, felt massive fear. And that was, that's, you know, I did as well. You know, I had an experience with a bully um, in my, I can't remember now how old I was. It was probably late teens. So it was late 80s, early 90s. And that, 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 was, that was the big wake-up call for me. And I was scared shitless. This, he just would be in tune and froing. He'd been staring at me. I've been staring at him. I didn't really know him. Didn't know why he was doing it, but I wasn't, you know. But one night I was just getting in my car uh, with my then girlfriend, who is now my wife, and he just came out of nowhere. And I just shut the door and locked it. And I was terrified. And he was telling, you know, he was, you know, he was going to, he was telling me what he was going to do. He was going to rip me face off, rip me arms, legs off, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was terrified, but then I was angry because of that yeah. reaction. And I remember going home because I still lived at home and my, I was telling my dad, and I was so pissed off by it and I couldn't live with it. So I actively started looking for him because I couldn't ha- I couldn't handle that that feeling. I, I think at the time I actually felt like a coward. That that yeah. was the that was the feeling. But and you see I, that 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 feeling. Sorry, just just to yeah. interject that um, when someone punches you in the face, it's not the physical pain. Yeah, it's the emotion. Yes, that's, it's the emotion. Yes, that's what affects you, not not yeah. the physical pain. That's right. Yeah, that's what will sit with you and sit in your yeah. hard drive, whether you deal with it or not, or repress it down. But then that's going to skew your worldview, and you're going to see things differently. I eventually found out where he lived, and I went and knocked on his door. <laughs> um, and. He wouldn't, you know, he was telling us he was going to take us down the beach. I said, well, let's go. But he had his big old English sheepdog barking right beside him. I said, put your dog away. Let's go right now. Uh, and I was still scared. Don't get me wrong. I was shaking. But I, I had to bury it. I had to, you know, I had to overcome it. And he wouldn't. He backtracked. And I never saw him again. But you see, when when someone acts like that, when, when they're very aggressive, yeah. they're compensating. Yeah. Yes. Mostly from fear. Yes, so oh, yeah, he's no. probably more scared than you. Yeah. To counteract that, he's just shouting and going, "I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this," and just and everything else. You go, "Well, okay, let's go." He's like, uh. "Yeah, exactly that." And when you sort of bring that, bring it to him, then you you, t- you call him out, and yeah, and then the back down. They don't always do that, and you know when I when I when I eventually I know exactly, but you've got to know that, and that's why I went to train with Jeff Thompson. I think it was 2010, and I trained with him for five years. I went I went down every every month. Uh, for five years to train with Jeff personally in his master classes to understand. First, I went down to understand what fear was and do the physical stuff. But then Jeff led physical and the metaphysical and he went into the deeper stuff, you know, talking about self-protection starts with self, you know, protecting yourself against your inner bully, that voice inside your head that stops you from moving forwards. And that was massive for me. That really sort of explained a lot of different things. And then as I said, I was invited onto his black belt course, which was a 12-month course. And went and we did that. And yes, as I said, the physical aspect was there. It had to be there because the physical aspect kind of exhausts you. So it exposes you mentally and emotionally. And, and it certainly did over that the time period I was there. But, you know, his but Jeff's premise was always self-protection was awareness, avoidance, escape. Being aware of your surroundings and avoiding anything that felt dangerous and then escaping. And But, you know, as he always used to say, monkeys fall out of trees. And sometimes you find yourself in a position where you weren't paying attention. And so and then 
it became down to preemption. So if, if awareness avoids escape failed you because you weren't paying attention, then it was preemption. It was hit first, hit hard, then escape. And that was always uh, Jeff's way. And, and you know, and I've, I've I've used it once or twice since, not recently, in the past. Um, and you get to like the more you do it, the more you get to understand when people are just posturing and when they're actually serious. Because you could, you know, if you're aware of that and you're good good at that, you could balloon and posture yourself and make them back down. It's almost so they can see a face. And I've and I've done that a few a few times, but all other times people just want to fight. Mm. And so it's about hitting first, hitting hitting hardest, hitting first, and then getting away. And there was obviously techniques to that which I teach when I do seminars and workshops. Um, but yeah, it's fear is a powerful thing, and you can control people. Yeah. Whole, whole nations are controlled by fear, aren't they? That's that's yeah. the best way to control everybody is by fear. The last few years. Yes. Well, fear fear of what might happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely that. And just yeah. how you know, but yeah, that's exactly how people are controlled. So do you do do you do a lot of fear control and that sort of thing with your clients then? Uh yeah, I, I, it's re, it's it's not fear control. I don't really talk fear in that regard. It's all about really helping them understand their emotions and yeah. what that what they actually are because we'll trigger it as fear in a fearful way because it's a it's been labeled as unsafe at some point and we always move away from pain so create those fearful thoughts but it's really just helping them understanding themselves their body their emotions the sensations you know how, what the body's doing because it's always talking to you we just don't pay attention there's all, you know, whatever sensations we have, whether it's a headache or a runny nose or, you know, itchy eyes, it's not always hair fever. It could be something else or something deeper in the body. We just don't get into the body enough. And it's helping people understand that and getting safe, you know, feeling safe to do so. Because if we don't feel safe, we'll never get into that. We'll never get into those deeper rooted emotions because yeah. our, oh, our nervous system is just too jacked and goes into the you know, the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight response. We want to be able to get into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest, our calm center as much as possible and be able to create that calmness when we then start exploring these, you know, these deeper sensations, which we often label as fear. Yeah, because that, that whole fight or flight is is extremely energy um, intensive. So it sucks yeah. a huge amount of energy out of you to be in that all the time. Yeah. Um, and you can't think straight when you're in that either because you, you just think it's all you react you yeah your brain just says no you're not thinking you've got to react and get yourself out of this however yeah. that you know whatever that is and it's, it's instant you know because it's been programmed it's fired and wired as i say but but because we know that and we've done that initially to protect ourselves we can reverse it we can change it by then creating different responses different behaviors and a lot of that comes probably comes from being in our childhood where there's something's happened and then that's put you into that fight or flight for the rest of your or or there's something that triggers you quite easily back into that fight or flight mode yes absolutely as i said before emotion energy in motion and so yeah. it's, it's very energetic everything's energy yeah. uh even like not facing something whether it's a fearful thing or not making a decision you're still creating an open loop because you're not you're not putting it to bed you're not saying okay that's what I'm doing, or that's what I'm not doing. Think, yeah. oh well, I'm not, not quite a go. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna decide just yet. And so the energy's still there in the background. Everything's energetic. And it's one of the first things when I check in with myself. I always check in with myself 
multiple times throughout the day. I've got an app called Habit Bull for Android. I don't know what it is for iOS. Um, and it just pops up and says, check in with yourself, elevate your energy. And then, I, so, you know, I could be in the middle of, obviously I'm not going to check it on a, doing a podcast, but I, like if I'm doing any kind of work or if I'm out and about, I allow myself just to stop and just check in with myself. Where's my energy right now? If I, Is it, yeah, is it, ugh? You know, am I doing something that I don't like or shouldn't be doing? Why am I doing it? So I can then challenge myself because sometimes you get you know, easy to get drawn in. You're doing something for somebody else, but you don't really want to do it. So why are you doing it? Oh, well, because they might feel a certain way. Yeah, but what about how you feel? And we sort of, we just kind of put ourselves down the pecking order far too much instead of setting boundaries. Yeah, I think we've spoken about that before as well, about how men... You know, in a family environment where, where you've got, you know, um, the mum and, and, and a couple of kids and a dog and, and the husband, for example, and, and that traditional setup is always the last person. You know, they, they're the least important. Yeah. They're the most important in terms of providing the safety and and everything else around. But but actually, they, they feel the least important. They don't get that that sort of, you know, they're they're their well-being, et cetera, is not important. They they have to do everything for everybody else. Yeah, I think men, even more so now, kind of losing our place in the world. They don't, know, they don't quite know where, where they fit. And then they fall into these people-pleasing habits. I know I have done that in the past. And that keeps that comes up every now and then, but I'm aware of it and I can then deal with whatever that is energetically. But a lot of men think that's the way it should be. That's why they let themselves go. That's why they get overweight as they get older. Instead of setting boundaries and saying, if I can create my own boundaries, if I can put myself first, if I can allow my energy to rise. So, so if we're down the pecking order, that means we've done everything for everybody else. That means we're running at about 30%. So that means you can only ever give out 30% whatever 30% is. But if you put yourself first and set boundaries and then look after yourself, your health, your well-being, your energy will rocket. And as a result of that, you give more of that out. We can't, we can't, you know, work from an empty cup, and yet so many men do. So it's about really understanding that. Stop avoiding, you know, the emotional landmines that we have, the emotional splinters that I talk about, you know. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've got these um situations overwhelming experiences from some time in our lives and just like a normal splinter you know if you don't get it out after a time you don't feel it anymore but if you just catch it in the right place you're reminded yeah. that it's there motion splinters are exactly the same so it would be okay we don't deal with it but every now and then you're reminded of it and the pain's there and then you go and react and do whatever you do to protect yourself it's about being able to recognize those and remove those and men don't do that often, often enough. They, they keep repressing these emotions down because we're, you know, emotion, showing emotions. That's what we taught. Yeah. Even in movies, they tell us, yeah, you know, yeah. put it up, put it away. Yes, exactly that. Yeah. You know, stop crying, you know, and all that kind of thing. And that's, it's rubbish. You know, it's, we're, we're all humans, men and women, we're all humans. Physiologically, we're the same. You know, work, how we work with emotions work the same way. So it's, it's one of those things where, we get to recognize that and recognize that it's okay. And I think sometimes, well, I know that men have massive shame around that, showing emotions, asking for help, should be able to do it themselves, should be that lone wolf, you know, working by themselves. But that's not why we're here. We're not, we're not here for that. And if we, you know, by recognizing that, and it's it's great to be able to 
you know, even if you don't work with a coach, have a peer group, have a group of guys around that you trust that you're going to, you know, it's, you know, it's not just about the camaraderie, but being able to, you know, share, you know, these, these thoughts and feelings without feeling that shame, but it's the shame, you know, shame likes us to be alone. That's how shame is cultivated. That's how it grows. That's how it's, it stays. It keeps us in that lonely space. But if we share, then we can, then we can often recognize that other men are feeling exactly the same. Yeah. And it's okay to do that. And it's okay to feel that. And then the shame starts to leave us. But it's the shame that keeps us stuck. There's, I mean, it's really about being the best you can be as yourself. And then you can serve your family or your friends mm. even better. You know, the, the, the better, the more you look after yourself and the stronger you are and the, and the more, you know, the more you take care of yourself, then you can serve others significantly more than if you're, like you say, an empty cup. Yeah, I think that's yeah, it's really important. Well, what we've got to do is recognize it. If you think of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we look at it from a level where if we get the foundations right. So the first one is, you know, is our survival needs met? How we got food? How we got water? How we got shelter? Uh, you know, are we procreating because we're survival of the species? If that's there, then we, the next one up is, you know, our safety needs. Do we feel safe physically, mentally, emotionally? And if we do, or we have the tools to be able to get rid of those, then that's that's great because we've built a solid base then to move into self-esteem, love and belonging, you know, all those other things that we aspire to be. But if we keep doing, trying to aspire to be somebody without dealing with uh, the fact that we're repressing emotions, every time we get triggered, it's like the house of cards just falls down because we're there <laughs> reactionary and we go back and do what we did the last time. We haven't processed that. We haven't dealt with that. So by able to build a strong foundation, then we can, you know, we can create these, you know, these aspirations that we move towards. We can create ourselves more energetically. Then we can, you know, we can be, we say the best version of ourselves. I think a lot of people try to be more than they are, but I think most people aren't even all that they are. They're not recognizing their, their true potential, their true purpose, their true, true power. By yeah. allowing themselves to do that, by putting themselves first, there's less resentment then they feel good, better about themselves so then they can give that out. I think there's, you know, when, when you don't put yourself first and let's say, you know, for example, you should be exercising and yeah. you go, well, I'm not going to exercise because I've got all these other things. And exercise is actually a bit of a pleasure thing for me. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep doing these other things. And then that leads you to becoming overweight and unfit. And then that creates more problems. Yeah. So by not putting yourself first in the first place, you then create more problems and then it just exacerbates. It's just, yeah, absolutely. It's worse, you know? Yeah. It's just that downward spiral. Really. Yeah. It's just, for me, I would say, how, how much do you respect yourself? You know, so for example, eating good food is a form of self-respect. Yeah. Yeah. Same with exercise. Exercise is a form of, you know, I'm respecting the vehicle I inhabit most physically through movement, through nutritionally, you know, to build our health up. And if you're not respecting yourself, most people don't, because most people don't love themselves. And that's because it makes you feel, uh, that's that, that, especially men. <laughs> then that's the stuff that we get to work on. That's the stuff we get to look at first. But if you don't do that, you're always going to be in this downward spiral because you're not valuing yourself enough. Yeah. You're valuing other people's opinions over your own opinions of yourself. When you say that out loud, you think, why would you do that? But we do that because we try and fit in in some way or someone might think a certain way of us we fear judgment more than we fear death and so it's, there's that like judgment but, but what is judgment really it's just exclusion we're hardwired to be in social groups to be part of something 
at survival of species. And so being judged feels like we're being excluded from that. And because and that feels unsafe to be yeah. alone. So that's this is the perception that we sort of go around. Doesn't yeah. Really, but that's where we are. Yeah, there's a, there's we talk about exercise, and, and you know, for me, like going to gym is part of. It's a it's a it's as important to me as as work. You know, that's that's part of that's part of what I do. So it's yeah. like you know, going to work's important. Well, going to work going to gym is as important. It's the yeah. same thing because I have to do that because of the benefits that it gives me and, and everything else. And I know that if I don't do that, I turn into a different person, basically. Yeah. So it's important that I manage that. Um, and I think for other people as well to, you know, I mentioned briefly about they see it as a pleasure activity. So in a, in a, in a relationship when they've got, you know, they're married and they've got kids or, or in that type of environment and and he wants to go for a bike ride or, or she wants to go for a bike ride or a run or something and they go, well, that that's not fair on the other one because I'm escaping and I'm doing something I want to do. But it's so critical that they do do that because that's what allows them to operate at their best self by doing those sort of things and allows them to then be more calm and then, you know, deal with the situations and, you know, screaming kids and everything else because they have looked after themselves and been for a run or gone to gym or whatever it happens to be. Absolutely. Gone is more resilience mentally and emotionally. You know, we, we get to do the hard things so we can then uh, deal with things when times get hard. But, you know, if we don't do the hard things, we, you know, we're never going to be in that, you know, be prepared. I always talk about, you know, non-negotiable agreements. You know, where, what what's the non-negotiables? You know, let go of the non-essential. Let, let, let go of the things that are not essential and create non-negotiable agreements, like raising your standards. Who's, you know, what version of me do I want to be where am I right now if I'm down here if you're saying you're you want to be up here what's the gap what's the steps what's the processes so it might be the fact that you're overweight down here and you don't eat very well but you want to be able to be someone who runs a half marathon or climbs mountains or what can walk in nature even you know so what are the steps well the steps are when I go to the gym I get on my bike I go for a run those are the non-negotiables because those are the things that will bring you up to that standard and then you get to look at, okay, who's taking me away from that standard? Who's trying to pull me down from there? I mean, it might be those closest to you, but then you've got to have that conversation of why, why that's even happening. Because if we don't, we don't have that communication. You know, relationships are really important. Firstly, with yourself, you know, the self-respect and, you know, raising your standards, but also the relationships of those closest with you. Because is what you're doing making them feel unsafe? Years ago when I worked... Uh, uh, fitness camps and a woman came to me and she was losing weight and she lost two stone she was doing really well and she vanished and then I found out that her husband was massively triggered by it she was coming she was coming back home and there was a full cream cake in the fridge with a post-it note saying eat me because he was massively triggered massively insecure that his wife was becoming more attractive because she was losing weight and he had this fear of losing her so he was trying to sabotage her so that's all on him, as we talked about at the beginning. Not about her, it was about him. But it's it's having that conversation. You know, people have these insecurities and don't feel safe. So then they do these reactionary things. I've, I've seen that that exact thing a number of times, actually, quite a few times. That yeah, one one partner starts looking after themselves and starts training and doing all these things, and then the other one just gets really insecure and just tries to sabotage it because they're like like you say, they're, they're going to just find someone else now because they, they've left me behind. Yeah. 
and it's about com it's having that conversation. And those are these are the different conversations. You see, we think, okay, it feels unsafe. You know, it's it's like like men who say, you know, anything for an easy life, out for an easy life, and they don't do anything. But that's that's just it's so disempowering. It's very fake. Yeah. yeah, it's really fake. It's like you need to, you know, find your spine again. Where's where's your balls? You know, this is you've got to you've got to start owning who you are, and that doesn't mean to say that you are have to be nasty to your partner or neglect her in any way. You've just got to reassure her, and you, you do that through having conversations and saying, "I'm just doing this for me, so then I can give more to you." But yeah. men are also great at not having conversations very well. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't like talking. So it's 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 something that comes back down to co courage, you know, having that courage to be who you are and having those difficult conversations. I know, you know, when I first worked, started working with Jeff, for example, I struggled with like conversations, you know, when things were hard, I'd just rather not talk. I remember that. But I remember him saying sometimes the truth is so jarring. He says, but all you've ever got is the truth. Yeah. You've got to be truthful and then have a conversation around it. If they, If, you know, at the end of the day you it's only you everyone else around you can come can go can leave but you're still there so it's about you know being the best version of yourself you can be for you and then whoever's around you they either decide to come with you or they don't that's not on you that's on them and yes they might react in a certain way again but that's just them being triggered you know it's just, it's just you're just holding the mirror up and if they don't like what they see they either you know, step away or they, you know, they'll, they'll attack you in some way, usually verbally, sometimes yeah. otherwise. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's that's where it is. It's, you know, again, it comes back that you you make that change, you send the ripple out and everything around you changes. Yeah. And it's them, I mean, especially, when, and I'm not saying doing this in a bad way, you do it from a place of, of love. You know, you're not doing it with any malice. You're just, you're just, this is how I want to be. I've let myself go. I want to be a better version of myself for myself and for everyone around me. And yes, that can cause insecurity, but then that comes down to conversations and communication. Well, it's like they say, fly with eagles, don't they? Yes. You fly with eagles or you can, yeah, be on the ground. Yeah, I'd say you can sort of feel that freedom or you can be in fear. Yeah. And I guess, you know, because fear is so prevalent around, it affects everything else. Yes. And, you know, you can... You know, you could have all these different kinds of stresses, you know, financial stress, family stress, work stress, uh, nutritional stress, you know, all these kind of things. And if we don't deal with these things, if you think about it as a stress bucket and it just keeps piling in, if you don't deal with them, it overflows. That's why, you know, you'll shout at your partner or your kids for no reason at all because you've had a stressful day because you're just, you're just at this topmost level and it's just overflowing or road rage is the, is the easy, easy one. And so that's what we get to look at. What's really going on with me? Because all we're doing is we're just we're just reacting. Well, a lot of the time you, you can deal with a certain amount of stress. And, and obviously it's also good for you as well to be in a certain amount of stress. But you know, that that'll you don't do anything about it and it'll build up, build up, build up, and then you'll you'll suddenly kick the dog. Yeah. The dog's yeah. like, what, what what's going on? Yeah. What is <laughs> happening? Like, you just happened to be the end of my bucket, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did something small, and then yeah, yeah. Um, it's and it's walking around in that state as well, which is incredibly unhealthy for you, you know, yeah. um, where you're super stressed and you're just on the on the edge of of kind of cracking almost. Yeah, well, we've got you know we've got three parts of the brain. The thinking part of the brain is the human brain. We spend the re two thirds 
or more of our life in the reptilian brain, which is our fight or fight response, our emotional brain, which is the limbic system. And then which is flipped between those two when we're always reactionary, when we don't sit down, we don't calm ourselves down, we don't calm our nervous systems down, we don't soothe ourselves. And I think, you know, as babies, when, when we were babies, we had our parents to soothe us in some way. Whereas now, as, as adults, and, you know, I would say there's, there's a lot of adults who aren't really adults, the sort of, you know, adults in child's bodies because they haven't dealt with, you know, their, I want to write a phrase, their inner child, but, you know, just there'll be yeah. parts of them where they're reactionary because they haven't dealt with anything from when they were six or seven. And then they'll behave like a six or seven-year-old, even as an adult. And I see that all the time. I even see it myself, not so much now, but I laugh at myself, though. There's little Dean, what, what little Dean Spurry's dummy out. What's that about? And I actually laugh because as an adult, I wouldn't behave that way, but I am. So it's something I need to deal with. So it's, yeah, it's very interesting because I think, um, I mean, Jeremy Clarkson just wrote, I, I don't, I don't, obviously, I don't watch the news or anything like that, but I kind of saw some stuff on LinkedIn about it and what he had written or what someone else had written, what he had said. Yeah. And it was just, he's just a big man child. I mean, to be fair, I actually, what I like about him is that he's very genuine. But he is a man child. Yeah, you know, totally he's totally he's what you see is what you get, and, and he is he doesn't make stuff up and he doesn't act or anything like that because that's him. Yeah. And it is genuine and there's something good about that. But again, man child. Yeah. Um and I think I mentioned this before about how you know in, in some in a lot of cultures, especially in Africa where, where I grew up, there's um not not me personally, but in the tribes where you know, they reach a certain age and then they have to go and hunt a lion or they have to go out and spend three days by themselves in, in the yeah. jungle or the bush or something like that. And that that marks their transition from a child to a man. Yeah. And in Western cultures, we don't have that. No. So we just keep going until, you know, well, until forever, 60, 70, and we still act like a child because there's, yeah. there's been no event where it's gone, you can no longer act like a child. You are now a man. And these are your responsibilities as a man. There's there's nothing definitive that happens with that in Western culture. I absolutely agree with that. There's just there's just nothing at all, and that's yeah. why we're seeing these man childs or men childs moving through because they've had no male influence. They've had no um, teachings or where where they can take responsibility for their lives, and so they they'll not make decisions, and so you know they're not choosing. So then they'll react in a certain way because they haven't been through the like, been through the forge, they haven't been through the difficulty, they haven't been through anything that's been, you know, um challenging enough to then allow them to re you know require them to step up to like yes. to be the man of, you know, and it's not about masculine and feminine, you know, we've both got those energies in there. I get that. And you know, it's just about understanding what being a man is. Yeah. Take responsibility from themselves and others is number one, and so many men don't. Being being on this whole journey of yours, where you know you've obviously explored so much and you've grown so much, how how has that um, helped your relationship with Joy, with your wife? Massively, yeah, massively. Uh, I think it was about. I think it was when Joy was pregnant first where we realized that she'd those traumatic, had a traumatic experience in her childhood, which had been affecting our relationship. Because I often remember thinking, like we were saying before, you just say something and then there was a massive argument. You think, what, what the hell did, I, what the hell happened there? <laughs> you know? Um, and 
as time went on, when she was pregnant, she, had, she went through a really bad pregnancy. First, we couldn't have kids. And then, you know, we've had kids naturally. And that's how I started this whole journey. Uh, but then she was still really poorly when she was pregnant. Uh, and it, it wasn't morning sickness. It was, it was nausea, but it turned out it wasn't no morning sickness. It was acute anxiety because of some the pregnancy had triggered from her past. And that's when we sort of really started discovering and being having more awareness of who we were, who we were. But it wasn't, and we still done a lot of work there. We still had our moments when we had these arguments. I wouldn't, you know, I would, I wouldn't say anything. Then there's, there's a build up, and then you explode, and everything comes out. You know, that's been for the last six months or whatever because you haven't had that communication. But that wasn't until I think it was four or five years ago when we started really looking into the emotional realm and emotional healing and understanding ourselves and understanding why we do what we do and repressed emotions and how we react because when we get triggered by certain th- events, whether it's something I said or she said or something she did or didn't do, you know, and vice versa. By, you know, by doing that and understanding how we work and understanding that the thing is never the thing and there's something deeper and then being able to understand like being able to feel the sensation that comes up right okay there's the thought there's the emotion sensation because of that we can now sit with that we can now let that go we can let go of this stored up energy that's been repressed and because of that we can you know we can have these conversations we can see when you know if i'm in a bad mood she'll you know we don't have an argument about what she knows that I, I'm, I need to deal with something and vice versa. I don't pester Joy of what's wrong, what's wrong, this kind of thing. I know she's dealing with something and I know she'll be able to do that. And then we can have a conversation about it when she, when she's ready or when I'm ready. And I think, yeah. you know, it's massively powerful. And I think something else I was talking to um, someone a few days ago about love languages. I don't know if you, you know about love languages. Uh, I can't remember the guy's it's the name. five love languages. Yeah, the five love languages. Yeah, I've come love across languages. it in the past, yeah. Yeah, and everyone has their own love language. Yes. So you could, you know, so you could be pouring gifts on your partner or you could be saying how much you love them. But if her love language is physical touch, and it doesn't mean it doesn't have to be sex, it could just be a hug or a handhold or, you know, it's just something like that, or quality time together, which is another one, they're just completely mismatched. They'll not feel the love because their love language is different. So you might think, wow, tell how much I, I love it. Or, you know, I buy her all these things. But if her love language is, I just want to spend time with you, which is what my wife says. My wife says, yeah. mine's physical touch. They're the primary ones. You have a primary and secondary one. But, you know, if you don't know that, then you can feel like you're incompatible once, you know, all the, you know, the initial, you know, oxytocins die down and you're in a relationship. If you don't understand what makes them feel loved, then that can cause all kinds of problems and issues. Yeah. Just having that awareness. And I found that really powerful when I, I read that book about eight years ago. I thought, wow, this is really interesting because the examples and the meanings behind the examples just made so much sense. But no wonder people start hating each other or get divorced. It's not that. It's, just- yeah, it's kind of so important that that, that that kind of information, like you need to know what the other, what your partner's love language is so that you can, they make make them feel love because a lot of people obviously want to make their partner feel love. But if you don't, you just you can just go from your experience, like you say, giving them loads of presents, and they're like being like, "This doesn't mean anything to me." And then yeah. when the relationship breaks up, they're like, "Yeah, but I gave you all these presents." It's like, "Yeah, but that's yeah, that's not what I wanted." Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you know, and it's 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 powerful. It's simple. Mm. So many people, why would they know it? 
Why would you know it? If you had well, they wouldn't know unless you asked, yeah. Yes, exactly. You wouldn't know that. You would just think, this is how I love. So mm. this is how I expect you to, you know, feel love because this is what make, makes me feel good. But then, it, you know, there's that kind of mismatch. Yeah. So, you know, it's, but it does come down to communication and conversation. And I know conversation can be challenging because we think that we're going to hurt the other person or they're going to judge you in some way. And we fear that so much. And it comes back to that fear and the sensations in the body, do I feel safe? No, so I'm not going to do it. But I guess it's also about feeling safe with your partner to have any conversation that you want to have. Because yes. if you don't feel safe, you know, I, I, I laugh a lot because you 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 hear this in the workplace and they go, oh, yeah, you need you know tell us what's really going on. And it's like, it's not a safe place. You can't say exactly what you want because if you do, you'll get fired. Yeah. So... It's not a, they pretend it's a, a safe environment, but it's not because you can't, you can't have those conversations, but at home and with your partner, you need to be safe so that you can say whatever you want to say and, and get it out and, and have that, that deep conversation, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the brain's the ultimate survival machine and it's constantly looking, am I safe? Am I safe? And that's in the environment we're in, the energy we have, you know, everything at any moment. So, you know, you know, the, the thoughts we have, the physical side of it, the emotional side, constantly checking that, constantly checking that and being able to bring your nervous system down and having that soothing. And, you know, there's powerful things we can do. Breathing, focused, controlled breathing. And the, the, the simplistic level, breathing out longer than you're breathing will bring you down into your calmer nervous system. Just understanding how to bring safety as much as possible. Speak a little bit about intuition because you've done quite a lot of work on the on the intuition side, and I know I have as well, which which yeah. has really made a, a huge difference to everything I do in day to day life. Yeah, you make etc. Uh, yeah, intuition is an interesting thing because we're so so many people, especially men, are in a doing mode that you know they try and outthink everything and they don't trust their body. They don't trust what signals that come out because we're not we're not used to tuning into that and being mm. listening to intuition for me intuition is something where it's not even good feeling it's this second sense it's this it's the deeper unconscious that we don't allow ourselves to contact connect with enough because we've got these conscious fil filters which is yeah you know the stories meanings and beliefs that we have in the world and how we see the world but meditation for me is something that nurtured my intuition because it allowed us allowed me to firstly hear it and then be able to act on it or make a decision whether i'm going to act on it because your ego is something that says keep you safe we've got the stories and beliefs that ego is trying to keep you keep you safe so you might have something that in, you intuit that you want to do but your ego will immediately say that's not safe you can't do that and then, then and it's just kind of this fleeting thing but i find meditation allows you to sit with that more in a safe place allows you to see it more and allows you to feel it and uh the more you do that the more you act on it, because that's what your body's telling you to do. Yeah. It's what your mind's to do, because you see, mind's perception, most thoughts are made up, they're just a perception of things, whereas your body's made up of those sensations and, and those feelings. And your intuition for me, the more you work on it, the more you sit with yourself and understand who you are, the more you can trust your intuition. It's the trust that people don't have because they're not used to it. 
Yeah. Because we're stuck here. And remember, the mind's just something, it's the mind's just a vehicle to process things and do things. It's, it's not about right and wrong, what the truth is. Your body has that. It's whether you allow yourself to bring that out. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's things, you know, um, writing a book, I know you've written a book as well. Yeah. Um, or probably a couple of books. But um, that was really interesting process because um, not not writing the first books because I just kind of, you know, wrote them and it was just kind of a small project. But then I, I've just finished um, another big book, which is kind of my, what I call my main book. Yeah. But writing that whole process was, you know, you know, it's kind of really exciting that I really wanted to reach millions of people. You know, I really wanted to be something really big. Yeah. Um, but that message gets to, through to the uh, ego and the ego is like, well, hang on a minute. If we become, you know, rich and famous, you know, everything's going to change and then yeah. Not it's going to be unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it, you kind of like, it's it's interesting because you're just doing this process of writing the book, but actually it just brings up all these other emotions and all this sort of self-sabotage and all that sort of thing. Did, did you have any of that during your book? Oh, yeah, roller coaster, absolute roller coaster. Those days when I was just looking at it, it was like just looking at it, this is shit. Why am I yeah. bothering? Why? No one's going to read this. You know, you'd have that, and then the next day you'll write 2,000, 3,000 words. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and, there was, and then there was days when I didn't look at it for a week. Uh, I mean, I wasn't doing it full time, but it took us about 18 months from start of publishing. Uh, and it was one of those things, every emotion came up, every emotion. You think, who are you to do this? But then once you're, and here's where intuition kicks in, is once you allow those thoughts to permeate and like, you know, process and chatter on, and then you start writing and then you're just in the zone. Yeah, That's when you're in the body and you know it's coming through you. It's, you're, you're almost like a conduit. It's not even you. The same times when I write things, and I'll read a bad thing. And and that you know, I've done that's happened throughout my life, not just yeah. writing books. It's just one of those moments when you think, "Wow, it was just it was meant to meant yeah. to come out of me," and that I think is powerful. Speak a little bit about your book, Thrive, because that's what you wrote about a year ago, what was, was published about a year ago. Uh, yeah, my book's Thrive. I've got one on my desk. This is the only one I own. It's, a, it's, it's one of the first edition hardbacks, Thrive. Excellent. And it's I used um, the jigsaw because there's four elements. I see four elements, the health, so emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual. And they're all in the synergistic link. They're all interlinked. And they don't, they don't work one without the other. And I think it's really important to understand that when you get in synergy so it's not just about training and movement it's not just about nutrition it's about mental uh resilience it's about like dealing with your emotions it's about you know finding what your purpose is once we're able to find all these things out then you know we can be all that we are i think and that allows us to thrive to, to th uh, flourish and so when i wrote that book it was really i wanted to give people a way of understanding themselves how we all interconnect and what we can do about it. So there's exercises within the book. You know, I, I wanted to make it as interactive as possible, but I also wanted to give enough real world examples from through my own experience to, to be able to move people forward. I mean, the first chapter of the book is, it's all your fault. <laughs> That's the first. Because I want people to wake up I want to say, you know, everything you've done up to this point is your fault. But that's cool, because that means you can change that. But the first chapter, I was really sort of saying, okay, it's your responsibility. It's time to, you know, take control, back control. 
and then just talking about the physical side talking about i mean the whole ethos or like the whole theme of the book is am i safe it's always explaining why we do what we do when we feel unsafe you know and again through those four four elements and then the last the last um section of the book is all about a call to arms it's about let's put this into practice this is why you do what you do and it's just really a book where you can read it front to back but you can also then just dip into each chapter you know i talk about what affects health you know from a nutritional perspective you know why we do what we do why we feel how we feel and what we can do about it yeah um i just want to touch uh, a little bit briefly on something else about pretending to be okay because i know that, that you've spoken about the, the sort of thing apart um, a lot of, and that comes down to mental health etc yeah. and and you know checking in if you're okay and i think men have always uh and, and i guess women as well probably um pretending to be okay when you're not actually okay and, and and a lot of people talk about that recently about you know are you really yeah, okay yeah I've, I've seen a lot of people saying it's okay not to be okay recently yeah i've been saying that for a long time and i and i i usually say it myself when you're having a you know a, like i say a bad day, i always use the air quotes because you know it's, it's just a perception of what's bad and what's good yeah um because yeah. quite often a bad day could lead to a better day because all all's happening is you've got an unmet expectation. You had an expectation of how that day was going to go or what you were doing was going to go and it didn't go the way you went, you wanted it to, so you get frustrated. And then you're out of alignment. You're not listening to your intuition. You wanted it to be a certain way instead of being just accepting that it could be a different way. And so it's, I think it's important to understand that. But with regards to what you were saying, I feel... like i forget what you said <laughs> <laughs> my mind's just gone blank pretending to be okay <laughs> yeah i was going to go to masks but i forgot yeah so we, we try to pretend to be okay but we're not we wear masks we yes. create super personalities we create they come from shadows these darker parts of ourselves that we don't we're not we're not willing to look at so we then we'll put this i'm okay mask but if we just allow ourselves you know and if, if I was saying to you, Collins, are you okay? Like your, your default answer, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Regardless. But then if you then, then I asked you, but are you really okay? Then you know that I'm actually really asking you if you're mm. okay. It wasn't just a passing comment. And I think that's really important for people to understand that. It's almost like checking in twice. It's like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. But are you really okay? How's things? Well, it's like, like a greeting almost, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's become a greeting. Are oh, you okay? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you just do your default. Yes. Regardless. But yeah. when you ask again, it's that they really want to know. They're not just. It's not just a greeting or a passing comment. Yeah. I think it's important to understand that it's it's okay not to be okay. We don't have to be happy all the time. I, I, I do believe that happiness is a choice, but it's also an emotional um, state. Hmm. that can waver and if it wavers it could be because there's something that we need to deal with like, yeah. you know, usually happiness comes from letting go of all the things that make you unhappy and if you've been on this planet for any length of time you'll have a lot of baggage that you're carrying that you might not even be aware of so it's just understanding that it's okay not to be okay but also understanding that if you are pretending to be okay then you've got stuff to look at because yeah. pretend to be okay is not normal Although in the scheme of things, you could say it is normal because everyone does it. Yes. Normal, they've normalized it, but it's not, it's not how 
as humans we're meant to be. No, and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of that work that that people really need to look at you know about being aware about looking at, at trapped emotions because I, I strongly feel that the whole trapped emotions is what causes diseases with us because oh. again it's energy it's trapped energy it, yeah. it sucks energy out of you keeping that energy trapped yeah that's what makes you ill basically absolutely lots of research into that and they yes. prove the fact that you know if you are you know if you are you know repressing emotions again energy in motion if we're blocking energy and it's not allowed to flow it'll flow out in different ways and if that's this dis-ease or disease you know disease yeah. we're, we're out of alignment then that's what happens and absolutely trap emotions creates physical symptoms yeah no question and that could be anything from something like joint pain to cancer yeah yeah exactly it's been proven that way and so there's if we can allow ourselves to get into the synergy of the four elements of health and be able to de delve into these traumatic experiences and trapped emotions and allow them to go, then there'll be less likelihood of our bodies having to remind us in a not so subtle way that we have to deal with something. But of course, because most people haven't got that awareness, they'll go the, down the medical route. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and it doesn't have to be that way. There's more, there's, you know, I always say, you know, there's yeah, there's always a way, and it's not just have to be one way. There's always other. Yeah, I think the medical is just one way, and I think yeah. people are so, you know, again from a from a culture and a society, it's yeah. like something's wrong. Go to the doctor, and it's like, you know, there's other ways. There's there's so much research out there, and there's so much evidence, and there's so much, you know, everything that. Yeah. That there's 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 another way, you know. There's other things to consider, and there's other things to look at that. I agree could end up saving your life when rather than just popping a pill yeah absolutely i totally agree with that uh but because the medical model is that they're trained to medicate yeah unless they've done other extracurricular things and i know doctors who have done that but then when they try to bring it into uh the medical model or the practice that they're told they can't do that so a lot of resistance yeah. yeah a lot of resistance so i've, I've known doctors who have left medicine um because they don't want to help people in that way because they know that it's not just about that and i think you know it, the, you know modern medicine has its place does some things good and does some things not so good and it's just like anything else it's the right tool for the right job yeah uh you know i used to go to a, see a, an osteopath for the longest time he was a brilliant osteopath but he couldn't fix the neck problem i had and when he it was when he said oh, i think you're just gonna have to live with it <laughs> <laughs> and then other people came into my life at that time, which, you know, who um, sort of showed me a different way. Darren Checkley, for example, mm -hmm. you know, he was learning different things at the time that led on to other things that led on to other things. And now I understand how the body works because I didn't then. Uh, now I understand, okay, my body doesn't feel safe. It's working in a certain way. It's compensating. It's got patterns. How do we sort of sort those patterns out? What's the causation? Because you might have knee pain, but... 95% of knee pains referred from elsewhere. Most yeah. pain is. So it's yeah, just I've always found that with with when something hurts, it's because something on the other side of the body or somewhere else is that that's just where it comes out, but there's something else which is wrong. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah. But quite often again, medical model, they look at the site of pain, look at the symptoms and treat the symptoms, not the cause. But when you look, if you strip it all back, you know, if 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 it's a cold or a virus or whatever it is, that doesn't start at the human organism level it starts at the cellular level 
Yeah. So treating symptoms is way too late. It's way too late. You've got to look at what the cause is and, you know, then make that more robust. And if that's more robust and that doesn't come from taking pills after the fact, it's about, you know, boosting your immunity, having good nourishing food, good sleep, less stress, more hydration, dealing with the emotions, all that stuff will come back to. If we can get that in, there's no dis-ease and then doesn't then sort of uh, compromise in some way. Yeah, well, I think the immune system is probably the biggest thing. You know, you, 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 it's kind of, I've seen quite a lot of medical stuff where, where they're coming up with um, with new treatments and that sort of thing, you know, peptides and, and um, stem cells, et cetera. And every single one of them across the board all said it all starts with a good diet. That, that's the most important thing. You've got to start with a, a good diet and you've got to start with a strong immune system and then you can start looking at, resolving other issues but it's that core system that you've got to you've got to start with yeah absolutely good food what you ingest so it starts with good health yeah because if your gut's not happy your brain's not happy because they're directly connected so looking at you know how can we increase the good microbiome you know 70 of immune cells are created in the stomach so you know anxiety is never felt in the head it's felt in the stomach so yeah. there's, there's so many things going on there and if we don't deal with that if we're not nourishing it with you know, good food, then absolutely it's going to affect everything else. You know, food, you know, creates hormones, creates behaviors. You know, if you can, if your hormone balance is out, then, you know, what else is out? How are we seeing the world? How are we reacting? Are we safe? You know, am I safe? It could even be, I don't, your body doesn't just look externally to see whether they're safe. It looks internally as well. My gut's not healthy. I'm not feeling safe. Okay, well, we're going to make you feel a certain way until you sort this out. Yeah. It's been fantastic. There's, there's a lot, I think there's a lot for people, um, listeners and watchers to probably dive into a bit more and uncover. And, and, and so that's been a really great chat. Thanks, Dean. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me on. I loved it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you.